Welcome to Fronteras, a program that explores issues at the border and beyond through the lens of arts, culture, and history. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. In 2016, the Bullock Texas State History Museum in Austin took the bold step to acknowledge the lynchings and murders of ethnic Mexicans when it displayed the exhibit Life and Death on the Border, 1910-1920. The exhibit was arranged by Refusing to Forget, a group of historians that's on a mission to share the history of state-sanctioned violence against Mexicans and Mexican-Americans in Texas. Life and Death on the Border exposed to a larger audience the participation of the Texas Rangers in racially motivated violence on and near the border. The exhibit also showed how the survivors fought and still fight for justice. The exhibit at the Bullock featured various rare artifacts, including photos and postcards. The exhibit is finally on a long-awaited pandemic-delayed statewide tour. It's primarily an exhibit of panels that take visitors through some of the key moments of this time in history. It made a five-month stop in McAllen in 2023 and is currently on display at Our Lady of the Lake University in San Antonio. Fronteras traveled to the Olu campus to view the panels and talked to some of the key figures who brought the exhibit to San Antonio. Dr. Christopher Carmona is a visiting associate professor of comparative Mexican-American studies and English at Olu. He's also a member of Refusing to Forget. Dr. Christopher Rose, who we'll call Chris to avoid confusion, is assistant professor of history and head of history at Olu. And Dr. Valerie Martinez is an associate professor of history at Olu. Christopher Carmona says these undertold chapters in Texas history are not taught in classrooms, and the exhibits showing at the Bullock would not happen in today's political climate. Well, the political situation is much worse than it was back in 2015 when this all really started to kick off. So back then, there really wasn't a lot of resistance to it. It was actually welcome because of a lot of the funding that came with it from the American Historical Association, National Endowment of Humanities, and all these other places. But they were open to it at the time. And so when it went on display in 2016, this is um, pre-Trump era. So at that time, they were more amenable to having an exhibit like this out there. But yes, but I mean, the subject matter itself deals with state-sanctioned violence, the Texas Rangers, violence by the Texas Rangers against the Mexican communities and other people of color. And so it really deals with a very um, touchy part of Texas history. And, you know, obviously the Texas Rangers don't want told, but um, it was something that affected literally thousands of people's lives. That's kind of where it started. So that launched in 2016, and it was there for a little while. And then we just got the, the grant funding to travel it. But by that time, COVID hit. And so we were kind of delayed for three years to get this uh, exhibit traveling around. Uh, last year, it was at South Texas College in McAllen. And so right now, we brought it here to Our Lady of the Lake. And it's the first time in San Antonio. We're the first ones in San Antonio to get this exhibit. Valerie, talk to me a little bit about how you came to learn about this particular history, because as Christopher said, it's undertold. And here you are teaching history at Our Lady of the Lake. And this is the kind of history that is also new to many students. So I'm curious to know how you came to know about this hidden Texas history. My work is on Latina service women during World War II, so I, I really focus on them as being kind of this Pan-American ideal during this 
moment of quote good neighborism right so my work is mainly in the 40s but as a grad student I need to contextualize these experiences so I went back to understand the squadron that I'm looking at the Spinita Juarez squadron so I, I went back to understand the moment that they're living in growing up in the 1930s and the moment where their parents were coming to the United States so to contextualize their history I had to learn far more about early 20th century and Mexican American studies is one of my fields of study but this is a on the time that Monica Munoz Martinez's book is coming out, The Injustice Never Leaves You. So it is here where I'm doing a huge deep dive into this period that it's not really my focus, right? I do more kind of mid-century, and then I look more at the civil rights era kind of coming in the 1670s, but digging into this early 20th century, which is astounding. And then as I'm completing my dissertation, and then also teaching my own class in Mexican-American history, and then here at Our Lady of the Lake, I'm having the students read this book as well. And it's here that we're uncovering this history altogether, right? Me revisiting the book after having read it in, in grad school, but also having the students experience these altogether. That's where we're having to have these difficult conversations in class, and we're also having to do debrief sessions because I'm finding this history unfortunately they are not told so they're having to understand and decompress and then I have to guide them through these emotions and the feelings and it's difficult it's hard I remember that the Center for Mexican Studies and Research hosted a panel by some counselors here in the community that are helping guide through these difficult conversations so that was really helpful to tell my students let's go to this panel and learn together how to process these emotions that they were feeling because it was a lot for them that's interesting because you know you usually read when you're learning history you're looking at it as an outsider you know the civil war happened but you know me particularly I did not have a personal connection to the civil war as probably some, most of the people here at this table did not so we're seeing it sort of an, as an outsider and here you're learning a piece of history that is directly connected to us yes so my family were were migrant farm laborers who didn't come to the US until the late 40s and then were on you know undocumented farm laborers throughout the 1950s so my connection isn't as deep but my grandparents on my mother's side they were traqueros so they worked on the railroads but that's far up in west texas it's the south texas history that i'm really digging into now and it's just it's difficult sometimes well, Chris Rose, explain to me how you're approaching this history in your courses. So I teach a lot of the lower level general education courses. So I have students in my class who will never take another history class at oh, the university level. They're getting the basics out of the they're way. They're getting the basics okay. out of the way. And so one of the things that I, I've really enjoyed doing, especially here at this institution, Our Lady of the Lake, which is overwhelmingly Mexican-American student body, is really trying to help students understand that history is not something that happens once upon a time to people you have no connection to, but that your own stories have power, and that your own stories are important, that your own stories are history. And I've really uh, taken a lot of inspiration from my colleagues here at this table. So my own background, for example, is I work on medical history. And my introduction to this was actually through learning about the fumigation that was done to immigrants coming across the border, or even workers coming across the border Being every sprayed day. With DDT. Sprayed with DDT, all the rest of that. And this, I mean, even when I was still back in graduate school at UT Austin, I did a guest talk in someone's class and mentioned this. And one of the students comes up to me and they're like, 
you know, my grandfather always told stories about that, but I asked in high school and nobody ever knew that. And it was, you've literally like, you're the first person who's ever actually acknowledged this happens because it's not in the textbooks. And there's a reason for that. Dr. Martinez and I also have a lot of experience trying to persuade the Texas State Board of Education to be more inclusive. (laughs) But it's also given me the challenge of thinking about, you know, how do you incorporate this history The university president wants this to be the nation's Hispanic university, and what does that look like in a basic history education course here? And this is where, you know, we talk a lot amongst ourselves about, you know, how we can recast things like it's the conquest of the Americas, but it's also the survival of the people that were here. After the Spanish came, people didn't start speaking Spanish the next day. And one aspect of your identity has been emphasized and the other has been, you know, sort of de-emphasized for a conscious set of reasons. And why is that? And so uh, really just sort of getting students to feel that who they are is important and that their voices have value. That's, that's really what having things like this here is. That's why it's important for them to be able to see it, to see these stories being told. Do you think it makes a difference that Our Lady of the Lake is not a public university? Very much so. Very much so. I was on research leave in the spring out of the country, and I was texting my chair going, is this stuff going on in the legislature going to affect us? She said no, and I said, okay, now I can sleep at night. History is very political. In fact, the reason people don't like it is exactly why it's important. (laughs) It's not supposed to make you comfortable. It's supposed to challenge you. We have to understand how we all came to be here if we're going to move forward together. Uh, That aside, I'll ask this of each of you. Have you felt any kind of pressure on how you teach your courses, maybe administratively or from other outside forces? Chris, I'll start with you and go around the table. No, actually quite the opposite. We've had conversations about um, using the fact that we can talk about things that you can't talk about a public institution to encourage students to come here because, you know, we can still have these conversations and we encourage having these conversations and there's a culture of activism and and difficult dialogues at this school. Christopher, it it seems like it it is a safe space essentially here at Olu. Yes, I mean, bringing this exhibit... um When we first got awarded it back in the summer, we started to work on the plan. We had the library open the space up so that we could display it here. Before I got here, it came from a public institution, which is a very different experience. So the challenges of dealing with state monies and public institutions is just constantly a battle. And here you don't have that kind of battle because they've chosen to embrace basically what the state institutions are afraid to do, which is promote the histories of their own peoples in in the state. I mean, we're looking at a state that is a student population of 53% Latinos. Mm -hmm. It's like 23% African American. So that's like 73.5% students of color. And yet the curriculum in most of the institutions in the state are not reflective of that. So we're choosing to go the other way, choosing to embrace that. And I think that, you know, bringing this here is a great step to have our students, you know, incorporate this into our classes so they can know this history of South Texas. Because a lot of our students are from here, but they're also from the valley, the Rio Grande Valley, where a lot of this took place. They heard these stories sort of growing up, but then, of course, they didn't believe them, right? Because it's not in the history books. 
So seeing it actually on panels on a wall with real, like the history behind it, does something to give them, like, you know, a sense that this did happen. And this happened to their grandparents, their great grandparents. And that's extremely important. We're talking to Christopher Carmona, Christopher Rose, and Valerie Martinez about life and death on the border, a traveling panel exhibit arranged by the Public History Project, Refusing to Forget. The exhibit is currently on display at San Antonio's Our Lady of the Lake University. When we come back, Christopher Carmona calls the period of anti-Mexican violence highlighted in the exhibit a holocaust of sorts. We're looking at the deaths of thousands and a major land theft that occurred. And so this is definitely part of that narrative, which is why the Houston Holocaust Museum, why they wanted it, right? Our conversation continues next on Fronteras. Welcome back to Fronteras. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Some of the worst racial violence in U.S. history took place on the Texas-Mexico border in the first two decades of the 20th century. It's known as the Matanza, or the Massacre. Some experts say thousands may have been killed for their land or because they were believed to be bandits, and many were executed in incidents of state-sanctioned violence by the Texas Rangers or members of the military. Texas State Representative J.T. Canales held legislative hearings on ranger violence in 1919. The history of the Matanza was told in a 2016 exhibit at the Bullock Texas State History Museum in Austin. Life and Death on the Border, 1910-1920, is now a traveling exhibit. It features various panels that highlight historic photos, court documents, and artifacts of this period. We're talking today with three faculty members who helped bring the exhibit to Our Lady of the Lake University in San Antonio. Valerie Martinez is an associate professor of history at OLU. Christopher Carmona is a visiting associate professor at OLU and a member of Refusing to Forget. Christopher Rose, who I'm calling Chris during this conversation, is an assistant professor of history and is the history program head at OLU. Rose says he tells his students that history is not a static subject. It's not just about memorizing dates and names and getting a credit for graduation. Yeah, I tell them on the first day, this is not going to be a memory. You'll memorize nothing. Um, And most of them don't believe me. But um, we've had a number of students who have uh, at least adopted as a minor. So, you know, we're, again, trying to bring home the idea that it doesn't have to be. I mean, it can be out there. That's what I do. But um, it can also be right here. And also then, what do you do with it afterwards? It doesn't have to be necessarily written up in an academic book that will sit on a shelf in a library like this. It can be online. It can be out on display. It can be in an exhibition like the one uh, that we have here at the library. You know, sharing is actually part of the process because that's the story part of history, right? You're telling something, and if nobody's listening then you're not really telling anything. You're, you're just talking out loud in a room to yourself. So part of it is also finding an audience for what you want to share. Yeah, I was talking to, to John Philip Santos about this uh, a few weeks ago about 
putting history out there to the public. We talked to your brother Juan not too long ago about taking the history of the Rio Grande Valley civil rights movement to the people, and there's really no better way to do it now than with technology, mm-hmm. with this program, with podcasts, with movies. You, you don't have to take a history class to learn this. You don't have to be reading academic literature to, to learn this history. But you can. But you can. <laughs> yeah. But you can also get your degree in it and learn how to do just that or to help others do just that. One of the people in our cohort, actually, I just saw, is launching an app. He's based out of El Paso to help people record their own histories and put it out there online. So, you know, this is... Valerie's mouth just dropped to the floor yeah, right now it's, when you said it's, that. Um, <laughs> there, there's a whole bunch of possibilities. And so, yeah, that's, that's part of our jobs is, is we have to be ambassadors for this field that captivated us and help students figure out why it's important to them and what it can do for them, even if they're not thinking of this as a, as a career opportunity. I just want to change their minds about what history is and let them know that they don't hate history, they just may not have enjoyed how they've been taught it in the past. That is the biggest difference, I think, right there. Well, Christopher, back to you. I do want to ask you, so it's been in McAllen, it's here in San Antonio. Where's this exhibit going to next? After here, it's going to go to the Houston Holocaust Museum, where it'll be up um, in the fall of 2024. And then after that, I'm not exactly sure... um, I know that we were in talks with the the National Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., so there's different places that we have lined up, but as of right now, yeah, the next stop is going to be the Houston Holocaust Museum. Well, the National Holocaust Museum would be a huge feather in the cap to really spread the history outside of the Texas boundaries. Yes. You know, I think the Houston Holocaust Museum is kind of, because that's the biggest one in Texas. But it is a Holocaust. I mean, when we talk about what happened um, during this time, during the Matanza, we're looking at the deaths of thousands and a major land theft that occurred. And so this is definitely part of that narrative, which is why the Houston Holocaust Museum, why they wanted it, right, is because it tells that history. And, you know, this is one of those that's undertold, but it also has a huge significance to U.S. history that people don't realize. The U.S. Army was here in the Rio Grande Valley at the time, and um, the Texas Rangers were definitely involved as state-sponsored violence. This is a huge deal. And in 1919, you had J.T. Canales' hearings on the activities of the Texas Rangers, which brought to light to the world what was happening. But then also quickly buried for several decades until... Yes, until James Sandoz uncovered it in 75. If you look at the, the transcripts, there was a little note in there that says, do not replicate for public use. And so when James Sandoz uh, actually came across in 75, it was because the clerk didn't know what she was giving him. <laughs> Put it into his research, and that's kind of where that snowballed. But it didn't really get digitized till 2015. So now it's available everywhere. You just go onto the internet, type in J.T. Canales' hearings, PDF, and they'll have all three volumes. There's thousands of pages. Over 200 people testified about the atrocities. But that hearing, even though there was no actual legal action taken, did lead to the reduction of the Texas Ranger Force. And it did lead for them basically to be, in any other way, dismantled until they get reconstituted in 1935, right? under the Department of Public Safety. But it did have an effect. 
And what a lot of people don't know is uh, Lyndon Johnson's father, Samuel Johnson, was involved. He helped protect J.D. Canales when he had um, death threats against him. He, he walked with him up the steps into the legislature because he was threatened by Texas Ranger Frank Hamer because of these things. So, so there's a lot of this history that people don't know, that there are people who were trying to get this out at that time. And, you know, it did have an effect. Dr. Christopher Carmona is a visiting associate professor of comparative Mexican-American studies and English at Our Lady of the Lake University. He's also a member of Refusing to Forget. Dr. Christopher Rose is an assistant professor of history and head of history at OLU. And Dr. Valerie Martinez is an associate professor of history at OLU. Our Lady of the Lake in San Antonio is hosting Life and Death on the Border, 1910 to 1920, an exhibit organized by the Public History Project, Refusing to Forget. It's a panel exhibit on display in the university's Sultan Fuss Library. Next week, we'll walk you through some of those panels and further explore how anti-Mexican violence spurred a call for justice and sparked a civil rights movement. Thanks for joining us for Fronteras. Fronteras is produced by Norma Martinez and Maria Navarro. Our executive producer is Dan Katz. Our editor is Fernando Ortiz Jr. Charanga Cakewalk composed our theme music. Hear past episodes at tpr.org and on the Fronteras podcast. I'm Norma Martinez with Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. Fronteras.